in Amos chapter number 2 and verse number 13. The Bible said, Behold, I am pressed under you as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. Therefore the flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not strengthen his forces. Neither shall the mighty deliver himself. Neither shall he stand that handleth the bow. And he that is swift on foot shall not deliver himself. Neither shall he that rideth the horse deliver himself. And he that is courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, saith the Lord. Heavenly Father, I ask you this morning, God, if you would, to look beyond our faults and see our need this morning. I pray, dear God, that you would touch us in a special way. Lord, I do not want to do anything or say anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit or draw attention to my flesh in any way this morning. But I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that your Son would be magnified. And may the church be edified this morning. I pray that sinners would be saved. That that backsliders would repent. And God, that we would all experience revival in our souls this morning. God, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And Lord, help us this morning that we would see no man save Jesus only. And we'll thank you for it in Christ. Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I want to draw your attention to verse number 13 here in just a moment. But go back with me to chapter number 1. And very briefly, let me just mention here what is taking place concerning the verses that we have written or that we have read this morning. I want you to notice with us that the book of Amos here, that God proves in this story or in this book, should I say, as well as he does in every book, that God always loves his people and God always works in a personal manner. What I mean by that? that this book like several of the minor prophets book is about the uh, the nation of Israel God's chosen people and God is always uh, uh, interested in his people God is not only interested in his people but he's interested in the sinner this morning you may be here and say brother Gravely, I'm not saved and I, I don't know anything about God or anything about the things of God well I want to say you may not know much about God but God knows everything about you he gave you your life he gave you your breath uh, and God loves you and he's willing to save you. You know, God is not only willing to save a soul, but he's willing to deliver a nation that will turn back to him. In fact, if we was to take the first chapter of the book of Amos and just break it down into one verse, I think there's one verse in the book of Psalms that would fit what chapter one and chapter two would describe. And it's Psalms chapter nine and verse number 17 where the Bible says that the wicked shall be turned into hell and those Notice this phrase here, all nations that forget God. That's what chapter 1 and chapter 2 is about. God is going to list six Gentile nations uh, that have never known him and have forgotten him. And he's going to list the, the nation of Israel that's divided, the southern and the northern kingdom that has also forgotten him. And God is going to indict them. And what this chapter proves here is that even in the midst of times, uh, uh, the nation, talking about the nation of Israel, they still have a servant. God still has a man. When you come to verse number one, the Bible says the words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. What I want you to see in verse number one is that God still has a man. He mentions his person. He mentions his place. 
He mentions his profession. He is a country preacher. I don't, don't you just love country preachers? I like city preachers, but I'm glad God calls country men to preach the word. And Amos was just a farmer, a herdsman, but he had the touch of God on his life. And here we see the period of time. It was two years before the great earthquake during the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. So God always has a man for his nation. He raises up and we see the nation's servant. But then we see the nation surrounding the nation of Israel and Judah here. When you get to verse number three, God is going to mention six nations. Look at them with me. In verse number three, he mentions Damascus. And then in verse number six, he mentions Philistia, which is Gaza here. He mentions Tyre or Tyrus in verse number nine. He mentions Edom in verse number 11. He mentions Ammon in verse number 13. And he mentions Moab in verse or chapter two and verse number one. Why does God mention all these nations? Well, you can read it later when you go home. But if you'll go back and read it, you find that God mentions every one of these nations because he has an indictment against them because they have forgotten him. I'm going to tell you, God is going to keep his word. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. It doesn't matter how powerful. It doesn't matter if they're the superpower of the day. It doesn't matter how prosperous they are. It doesn't matter how well known and feared by others they may be. God will bring every nation to its knees that forgets him and abandons him. And so God mentions these Gentile nations. But when you get to chapter 2 and verse number 4, all the way down to our text, he lays out an indictment against the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel. God is not only upset with those nations that have walked away from him, but God is upset also with his own people and the chosen people of God. I'm going to tell you this morning that God will always do a righteous judgment. Amen. The Bible said in the book of Genesis, will not the judge of this earth do right? And the answer to that question is yes. God is no respecter of persons. He is a God that is full of mercy. He is a God that is full of grace. He is a loving God this morning, but he's also a God of judgment. He will not let anybody get by. Sin will not go unpunished. I'm telling you, all of our sins, my friend was put to the test and was paid for at Calvary. Amen. I'm going to tell you the consequences of bad choices and sinful actions can follow us all the days of our life. You can experience forgiveness, but you'll still experience the consequences for the seeds that we have sowed and the deeds that we have done. Well, that's what God is laying out here in chapter number two with the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel. God is saying to them in verse number 13, notice our text. He said, behold, I am pressed under you. Notice this, as a cart or a wagon is pressed that is full of sheaves. Now here's what God says in verse 13 to these two nations, the northern and southern kingdom. God says to his people, listen, here's what you have done to me. God said, it's like you've loaded a wagon up and you have filled it full of sheaves and it's your wagon is loaded to the brim. But the only problem is God said, I am underneath it. I am on the bottom of it. In other words, God said, you loaded your wagon with all sorts of things, but you put me at the bottom of 
of the list. You made me last. And God said, I've experienced the burden that you have put upon me. Now you think about the nation of Israel as a whole. God was good to them. In fact, he reminds them of that here a few verses above our text. He tells them and reminds them of how good he was to them, how he brought them out of bondage. He led them through the wilderness. He took them into the land of Canaan and God gave them their land and God defeated their enemies. I mean, God had been good to Israel. Isn't that right? But you know what Israel did in return? They turned to idolatry and they walked away from God numerous times. And God said, you filled your wagon. You've loaded it full and you put me under a heavy burden. God said, in return, here's what I'm going to do. God said, I'm going to unload and reload your wagon. And God said, the burden that you put on me, God says, I'm going to put it on you. You say, where do you see that preacher? Look at the next verse. God said in verse number 14, therefore the flight shall perish from the swift. The swift are going to fail. He said the strong shall not strengthen his forces. The strong are going to fail. Neither shall the mighty deliver himself. The soldier is going to fail. Neither shall he stand that handleth the bow. The skill is going to fail. And he that is swift of foot shall not deliver himself. The sure is going to fail. Neither shall he that rideth on the horses shall deliver himself. The stallion is going to fail. And he that is courageous among you, among the mighty, shall flee away naked. In that day, saith the Lord, even the stout is going to fail. God said, you've loaded your wagon. And God said, I'm going to unload it and I'm going to reload it. But this time, I'm not, re- I'm not reloading it with the sins of the nation. He said, I'm going to reload it with judgment and it won't matter how big your soldiers are it won't matter how swift or how skilled or how strong they may be it won't matter how stout they may seem but God said I'm going to load your wagon amen I want to preach a few minutes this morning on that subject on when God loads your wagon amen have you I remember as a preacher boy I'd hear preachers preach and sometimes you'd hear them make that statement or you'd hear somebody else make that statement they got their wagon loaded. Amen. You know what that means in plain old Georgia language? It means they got told like it was. Amen. It means they got hit in the face with the truth. I want to tell you there have been some times and more times than I can remember I went down to the house of God and the man of God unknowingly he got up and preached the message that was on his heart and you know what happened? I got my little wagon loaded. Amen. God dumped on me exactly what I wasn't looking for but it was exactly what I needed amen I'm going to tell you what this generation needs what this country needs what this church world needs in this hour they need some men of God and will get some steel in their soul and some compassion in their heart and the grace of God on their life and the spirit and touch of God on their preaching and load some wagons amen I'm telling you the reason we're in trouble tonight or this morning is because of a major lack of preaching in the pulpit. Hey, the Bible said in the last days, he told Timothy to preach the word, didn't he? 
He said, I charge therefore before God and the quick and the dead and the earth and before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the quick and the, quick and the dead and the appearance of his coming. He said, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all suffering and doctrine. Why? Here it is. For the time will come, and it has, when they'll not endure sound doctrine, but shall heed to themselves teachers having itching ears. Isn't it amazing? And I just preached last Sunday night on revival through teaching. You know, I believe in Sunday school and I believe in teaching. I tell you, we're living in a time when they've watered down the sermon. They backed up the message of preachers as shallow preaching in the pulpit. There's not as much preaching on sin. People don't catalog it. Preachers don't catalog it like they used to. I tell you, and it's put our country in a mess. Amen. I'm telling you, listen, I believe preachers, us as preachers, will be held more accountable than even politicians in this day and time. You know why? Because we have the truth and we're to buy the truth and sell it not. We're to sound the trumpet. We're to blow the trumpet in Zion. We're to lift up our voice like a trumpet and we're to show the people of God their transgressions. Hey, we need preaching on heaven and we need preaching on salvation, but we need some sin preaching in this hour. Amen. We need it in this day and time. And God said to Israel and Judah, I'm going to load your wagon with judgment. You know, I think God's doing that to this nation in this hour. God is simply letting America have what we deserve. There's hope for America. Oh, we'll celebrate America on next Sunday, and rightfully so. And I want to celebrate the goodness of America. I want our young people to know that you live in a good country and that you live in a country that's been greatly blessed. And, and we want to make it a good day, don't we? And I'll tell you, we cannot avoid this morning the fact that America is under the judgment of God. You say, well, what can I do about it, preacher? You can get on your knees and pray. You can witness the lost souls. You can be a light in a dark world. You cannot go this newfound contemporary way. You can stay with old time religion, the King James Bible, holy living, amen. You can be a light in this world and when people look at you, they know that you're not fake. They know you're not phony. They know that you're real. You don't have to be perfect. You'll never be perfect. You and I cannot be sinless, but we can be above approach, a reproach, amen. The Bible said in Philippians chapter two and verse number 15, he talked about uh, that we're to shine forth as lights uh, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Amen. I'm telling you, we are to be the salt of the earth uh, and we need some Christians uh, that will step up uh, and be as real on Monday as they appear to be on Sunday. Amen. I mean, this is why we're in the mess. And so God said, Judah, I'm going to load your wagon. Why is God going to load Judah's wagon? Look at verse number four. Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Judah. And for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Why? Because, notice why God is going to load their wagon. Because they despised the law and have not kept the commandments and their lies caused them to err after the which their fathers have walked. I, but I will 
will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the palace of Jerusalem. You see, God said in these two verses here, because you've despised his word, you've disobeyed his word, and because you've deceived your own self by your own sinful living, God said, I'm going to load your wagon. I'm telling you, friend, is that not the day that we're living in when people would rather drive 10 or 20 or 30 miles to hear and lie, but they wouldn't walk across the street to hear the truth anymore. I'm telling you, they'd rather go to somewhere where somebody pats him on the head and makes them feel good. I know this ain't a church growth message, but it sure is a needed sermon this morning. I'm telling you, friend, they'd rather go where the preacher, you know, is just old common Joe, and he just, you know, he's just cool, and he's just hip, and he just fits in, you know, and they'd rather go where there's no, there's no demands put on their life. There's nothing confrontational about the invitation. It's just very weak. And if you want to come, come. And if you don't want to come, you don't have to because God is love. And you can come as you are and leave as you were and live as you want to. And there is no consequences for the way that you live. I want to tell you this morning, that is a lie hatched out of the belly of hell. I'm telling you, friend, God will take you just as you are, empty and broken and sinful and need of a Savior. I'll tell you what salvation does. It don't just save you out of hell, but it saves you out of the sinful living you was in. It changes your life, gives you a desire for the Word of God, puts a hunger in you to want to please Him and serve Him and live for Him. Amen. You know what I see in this hour? So many people sitting in our churches are looking for loopholes and ways out of doing things that the Bible says. I'll give you an instance. Like drinking. Who would have ever thought, I'm not talking about the world this morning, folks. Who would have ever thought that people sitting in Baptist churches would have thought you could take the Bible and twist it. And that's what they do. To justify social drinking. Now you say that makes me mad. It makes the devil mad too. But I'm telling you they twist it. And they say, well, the Bible speaks against drunkenness, but it don't speak against drinking alcohol. Well, I'll tell you what the Bible does say. The Bible said don't even look on it. Amen? I'm telling you, friend, I think God draws a pretty good distinction. Jesus wasn't a wine bibber. Amen? I'm telling you, that outfit that was religious but lost is what tried to tie that to him. But he broke that down, and it's the same outfit today that wants to ease their conscience by going to church, but they want to buy liquor by the drink down at the restaurant they want to get them a little corona or they want to get them a little uh, uh, hotty toddy amen uh, and they want to drink something and say well I don't get drunk no you don't get drunk uh, listen when you drink one you don't get dog drunk uh, uh, you're just 3 to 10 percent drunk amen and then when you drink a second one you're about 15 to 20 percent drunk and when you hit a third one you're what we used to call back home bust amen uh, uh, you just got a little buzz on you uh, but 
but when you get to about that fifth or sixth one, amen, you're starting to get a little tight, amen. I can remember that growing up. No, you may not be 100% dog drunk, but I'm telling you one thing, when you put that to your lips, I don't know why I'm preaching on it this morning, but I believe God would have me to preach on it. I'm telling you, God, help your soul if you call yourself a Christian, if you go to church. I'm telling you, listen, you ought to turn in your church membership if you're going to go down to the restaurant and drink alcohol or go to a package store and buy a six-pack of beer. I'm telling you, you are not a Christian if you drink. Amen. Now, somebody get a hold of this somewheres and get mad about it, and that'll be all right. I won't have to take a half a baby aspirin for what I'm preaching this morning to go to sleep tonight. I'm telling you, friend, God said you disobeyed my book. You have lied to yourself. You have deceived yourself and made yourself think that what you're doing, I'm okay with. And God said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. This punishment's not going to go unpunished. God said, I'm going to load your wagon. You say, Brother Gravely, I'm never coming back to here. Well, we might as well load your wagon real good. I won't tell you this morning. We live in an ultra-sensitive society that's always looking to get their feelings hurt about something. And while I'm on the subject, how many of you thank God for what the Supreme Court did this week? Can you imagine anybody being mad because babies' lives have been saved? Amen. I'm telling you tonight or this morning, it's nothing but pure murder. And God has judged this country. I'm telling you the forces of nature in this world are nothing more than the servants of God. A tornado, a flood, I'm talking about a wildfire, a hurricane is nothing more than servants at the very fingertips of a thrice holy God. And God has sent every bit of that on this country. I'm talking about hurricane after hurricane, tornado after tornado. On one side there's a blizzard, on the other side there's a wildfire and people in this country can't open their eyes and see. It's nature, it's not mother nature there's no such thing as mother nature but there is a such thing as father creation who gave us the wind and gave us the sun the bible said the lord hath his way in the whirlwind I'm telling you I feel like preaching in my soul this morning this morning I want you to know that God is sending judgment on this land and friend if you're lost this morning you need to get saved because you'll die without Jesus Christ and go to hell this morning God loaded their wagon, didn't he? And then when we get to verse number six, he loads Israel's wagon. Israel was far deeper in sin than even Judah. In fact, there are seven things here. I won't preach all seven of these, not even intending to, but I will point them out to you this morning as to why God loaded Israel's wagon in verse 6 all the way down to verse number 12. And they're rather interesting this morning because they highlight the nation of America this morning. I want to say the first thing is injustice. Look what he said. Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions, verse 6 of Israel, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment. Why, God? Therefore, because, here's why, they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. Can you imagine that? God said one of the reasons I'm going to load your wagon, Israel, is because of your injustice. You've not treated people right. In particular, you've not treated the poor right, but in particular, you've not treated the righteous right. You've mistreated my people. You've mistreated those uh, uh, that are saved and those that are serving. Uh, I'm talking about injustices in our land today. Isn't that right? When they call good evil... 
and evil good and right is wrong and wrong is right and they want to shame us. Hey, I want you to mark this down. You know what they want to do today? They want to shame us into silence. You know why they want to do that? So they can indoctrinate the children, the young people and there's no voice to call them out. Hey, I don't care if your hair lifts the devil this morning. I don't care if it makes all hell mad. This morning, I'm not being a smart, I'm being honest with you. I'm telling you, if there's anything fires me up as a God-called preacher, it's people saying, you can't say that anymore. Is that right? I'm telling you, if this book says it, I'm going to say it. I don't care if it makes everybody in Washington mad. I don't care if it makes the liberals mad. I've said it in the South and I'm going to say it in the North. Amen. There's some things when you say them up North, you get more funnier looks than you even do down here. But it's still true. Isn't that right? You say, well, they may never ask you back. That's all right. I like the South better anyway. Amen. But I'm telling you, friend, I'm not going to water it down. Just but They need to hear the truth. And people, they need to, the truth is falling in the streets today and there's so much injustice I'm telling you when I was a young person I remember men of God getting up and burning up the height of politicians and liberal preachers and loose living church members and they preached against adultery and murder abortion, sin, they preached against gambling, they preached against fornication, they preached against the home, I'm talking about the wickedness in the home they preached against the lust and the filth and Hollywood and everything that was on the television screen that's another point for another part but I'm telling you, I'm just simply saying there's so much injustice. They want to shame us into silence today. Oh, Brother Gravely, you better not say that. Somebody may sue you. I don't have much for them to get. I reckon they can have what I got if it comes to the expense of the truth. And we ought to never, and you're not, you're not, but I'm just saying it because it ought to be said. We never need to be a church where we get silent on issues when the man of God preaches. What I mean by that, listen, I thought it was was something that Roe versus Wade overturned life this month in a month that the country, the wicked in this country are celebrating sodomy. I'm telling you, and sodomites cannot reproduce. Somebody say amen. I'm telling you, God made a male and a female. That's the only two genders there are. He put them in the Garden of Eden and he gave them a commandment to go out and to be fruitful and to multiply and replenish the earth. Now, hey, I'm telling you, I don't care if you're from West Virginia this morning, you can figure this one out. If it had been Adam and Steve, he wouldn't have been able to give them that commandment. I'm talking about, hey, if it had been Sally and Sue, he wouldn't have been able to give them that commandment. I don't care, listen, this morning, I thank God as a young person, I grew up hearing some men of God. They burnt that sin up. They called it out. They preached against the sin of sodomy. Hey, you boys, if some young boy touches you, I'm telling you, listen, I, well, I ain't gonna tell, well, I am gonna tell you what to do. Amen. You ought to get him a headlock and rub his head, amen, till it sets on fire. Amen. I'm telling you, we're living in such a perverted and such a wicked society today. They want to teach it in our, our kindergarten. And you know why? They want our young people growing up thinking it's an acceptable or an alternative lifestyle. When God says it's an abomination, it is sin. It is ugly in the nostrils of a holy God and it ought to be preached against. Amen. Well, that's not got absolutely nothing to do with injustice. But we'll make it. Amen. 
I'll tell you where it is unjust. When they want to tell you, you can't tell your child that that's wrong. Oh, you girls, listen to me. You know, when my girls was growing up, which ain't been too many years ago, you know, girls are different than boys in a lot of ways, and thank God. But you know, uh, my girls would have a, two or three girls over. Uh, you know, the ratteries most of the time. I couldn't get an ounce of sleep at night. I'm telling you, there could have been 27 boys in the house, and by midnight, they're all knocked out. But girls will chatter till the wee hours of the morning. I tell my wife, I said, go in there and threaten them so we can get some sleep. Go in there and tell them. She said, well, what am I going to tell them? I said, tell them to hush. Tell them to shut up. We can't sleep. And she went in there and said, girls, y'all be quiet. If I'd have went in there, I said, now, girls, if y'all don't shut up, amen, I don't know what, I'd have, I threatened you with something really severe. But they, they wouldn't believe it. They'd talk all night long and stay up all day. And then what would be so bad is I'd go in there, they'd drink a half a pot of co coffee and a whole plate of brownies and you go in there and you're wore out from not getting a good night's sleep and they're grinning like a possum. Amen? I'm just telling you. But I want to tell you something. Girls, uh, uh, listen, used to, they could sit around and they'd put their arm around each other or they'd pile up on the couch together and you wouldn't think nothing of it. But I'm telling you, you got to be careful in this day and time uh, because it's just so perverted. Uh, they've seen so much. They've been exposed to so much, so much. I'm talking about the injustice, but the immorality that I'm preaching on is really in the next text. In verse 7, in the latter part, he said, A man and his father will go in unto the same maid to profane my holy name. How ungodly and how wicked that is. Even God said in the book of Deuteronomy that if a son went into his mother, that he uncovered his father's nakedness. God drew clear distinctions and lines of purity in the Bible for all to live by, but immorality morality has set in into such a nation that was once godly. I'm going to tell you when there's no justice uh, that's exactly what happens. Uh, when justice falls, uh, I'm telling you when the foundations are destroyed uh, there's nothing the righteous can do and people start living like dogs. Uh, they start shacking up. Uh, they start living any old way like animals uh, and everything's supposed to be okay. Hey, that's where we're at today. Somebody said, preacher, the divorce rate is lower now than it ever has been. It's true. You know why? Because people don't even bother to get married anymore. I'm telling you, if you took a vow, it's till death do you part. And God will never bless you properly if you break that vow. I understand things have happened. But I'll tell you, the worst thing you can do is look at somebody else and say, well, it worked out for them. It'll work. I'm telling you, I've seen that. And can I tell you what I have seen? It never works out the way you think it's going to work out. You will go from the frying pan to the fire. Amen. I'm telling you, you say, well, preacher, things are better. That's the grace and mercy of God. But don't try to tell me that divorce is the will of God. It's not in that book. From the beginning, God said it wasn't so. And God said he hates divorce. Now, how can something God hates be the will of God? God may have showed you mercy. And you ought to thank God for that mercy. I know where I'm at today. Every church has been touched by divorce. My family has been touched by divorce. Not my, me and my wife, but, but some of my outside family. I'm 
uncompassionate when people go through a divorce. I'm here to tell you, if you contemplate one and God sends you a message like this morning and you go the other way, God will hold that against you. Yes, you'll face the judgment of God. You say, what will he do? He'll load your wagons, what he'll do. Amen? You can't, listen, if we sin willfully, there remaineth no sacrifice. Might as well wade real deep in it. I've counseled people enough to know this. Counseling works, but here's the only way it works. When people really want help and when they're not there to win a case with the preacher and when they're not there to sling mud at their spouse. See, if me and my wife was having problems today and I really wanted to save my marriage, and I don't know why I'm saying this this morning, but I I got a lot of liberty to say it. If I really wanted to save my marriage and I went to my pastor and sat down, there's two things I don't need to do. Number one, I don't need to demonize her. Number two, I need to take part of the blame. And taking part of the blame is not saying this. Well, and I've heard it many, many times. Well, I know I'm not perfect, but, no, no. If I want to salvage my marriage and do the will of God, then I grab her by the hand and say, let's go get some help. Let's get some help. I need help. And you need help. You say, preacher, why are you saying that? Because I've been down this road too many times. And I'm here to tell you this morning, God give you the spouse you're with. You ought to thank God every day. You say, oh, but you don't know what I have to live with. No, and I don't know what they have to live with. Amen. I don't know why I hit that stump, but I believe it was of God. Injustice, immorality, intoxication. Look at this. Verse 8, they drink the wine. There it is. Of of the condemned in the house. I'm telling you, they're not just drunk on wine, but they're drunk on... America is drunk on so many things today. Alcohol, yes. But she's drunk on entertainment. To the point, I'm just going to tell you, it's three minutes to 12. I'm preaching about 12, 15 this morning. I got way too much liberty to quit. So just hold your seat. Pray for your roast, amen. It'll probably make it, amen. Should have slow cooked it anyway, amen. I'm telling you this morning, when you think about that, they're not just drunk on alcohol, but entertainment to the point that it's crept into our churches. Now don't fall out with me for what I'm about to say. If you don't want to pay $15 and go to the Civic Center and watch somebody sing gospel music, I'm not against that. That's good, clean entertainment. Help yourself. I'll tell you what has happened in the day and time. They have figured it out that if you come in and you set it up just like the world, I'm talking about, I mean, you got it, you look, you look kindly worldly, and you pull in in a big $250,000 bus on Sunday, and you remove the pulpit, and you dismiss the choir that Sunday, and you get up, and you got enough equipment, I mean, listen, to run NASA, and you get up there, and you sing about 35 songs for about two hours. And you tell the same old corny jokes that if you go down the road, you hear them the next time. And you fake a tear and act like you just got stumbled up in the middle of a song. But they get stumbled up and get a tear in the next week at the next same place. And then if they, God help them if they do book a preacher and the preacher gets up, they go to the bus to smoke cigarettes while a man of God tries to resurrect 45 minutes to an hour and a half of entertainment. That's where we're at today. No, thank you. I'm not interested. I'm just absolutely not interested. It doesn't do anything for me. Nothing. 
I don't like it when they get in a circle and sing to each other. That makes me nervous, Brother Danny. Two men looking into each other's eyes and pumping their mics like this. Does that not make you nervous? And they put their hand, you know, kind of limp the wrist on a man's shoulder a little bit. All that makes me nervous. I, I mean, listen, I mean, that just may be, that may not bother you, but it ought to bother you. I'm telling you this morning, uh, we're drunk on entertainment to the point it's even crept in the house of God. Now, I know I'm not going to make the singing news, never planned on it anyway. Amen. I'm just simply telling you, that's where we're at today. I tell you, just give me an old fashioned choir, give me some old fashioned church singers. Uh, give me some old fashioned leather lung preaching of the word of God give me a good old fashioned a worship service where people love God and it's not about them it's about him hallelujah Woo! praise God I'm talking about that's what it's all about, amen. And it won't cost you $5,000. And you don't need a book at agent to have that kind of Sunday. You can just go to church. Hey, God don't have a book at agent, amen. Well, for the few that's still listening, I'm talking about intoxication, sports. We won't even go there, but you know it. I was preaching the other day in Alabama, and I said it. I said in Alabama, football's a religion. I'm going to tell you, it got so quiet. You would have thought I lit up a cigarette while I was preaching. And I told him, I said, I know y'all are Alabama people. And I said, I'm not mad at you for it, especially not this year. Amen. But I said, in spite of that, I said, is it not the truth? I'm not, I watch a little football once every five years, you know. But uh, I'm telling you, friend, if you watch a little football, I'm not mad at you about that. Uh, but I'm just telling you this, it is awful. It is terrible. Uh, my friend, that people are so passionate. You would think they own stock in the University of Georgia or the University of Alabama. I mean, when their team loses, they get fire-breathing mad because they talk trash to everybody in the country and they know they got to pay the piper when they go back to work. And then when they win, they walk in like they're Nick Saban himself and they just won the national championship. I'm telling you, it's a bunch of foolishness when it gets right down to it because when it comes to church, that same outfit, listen, you couldn't pay them a hundred bucks to say amen in one sermon. They would never give a testimony. They would never shout it out. They won't never sing in a choir. But they sure are drunk on the things of this world. Amen saying we're in trouble aren't we and I'll tell you this outfit needs to hear it today if we're ever going to have revival intoxication then I want to say idolatry look at the last part of verse number 8 they didn't just get drunk but notice in the house of their God little g they got drunk in the house of their God idolatry I'm telling you today we have to be careful not to let idols creep into our life. Anything that I love, treasure, or invest more time and money in than the Lord has become an idol in my life. I want to say inappreciative. Look at verse 9. Yet, yet in spite of all this, God told Israel, I just destroyed I the Amorites before them. 
whose height was like the height of cedars, and he was strong as the oak. Yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. God said, I did all this. You're inattentive. You're inappreciative. God said, after all I did, look, I brought you up, verse 10, from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorites. God said, I raised up your sons for prophets and your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus? Is this not true? Oh, you children of Israel, saith the Lord. God said, after all I've done for you, after everything I've done, this is how you repay me. I want to tell you this morning, if you're backslid, if you're cold and different, you're away from God, you're also without excuse this morning. You know, a young preacher said something to me the other day that really hit home with me. He's pastoring his first church. And he said he had a man that had been in his church for three years. A good man. And he said, I watched that man. He said, I don't understand what happened. He said, we were so close. And he said, I watched him. He said, he started drifting. But he said, and I knew he was getting away from God. He was still there, but he was drifting. But he said, as he drifted, he said, I noticed that our relationship drifted. He said, and a man, this is what broke this young preacher. He said, a man that loved me so much. I'm talking about with tears running down his face. He said, Brother Gravely, he said, now, he said, he won't even speak to me. He said, and his alt, his reason for leaving church is it, it, somehow in a weird way, it's my fault. He's mad at me. You know what I told him? I just said, it's the nature of the beast. I said, when people are right with God, I said, you might as well get used to it. I said, when people are right with God, they love you. You're their preacher. You're their man of God. You're their pastor. They love you. I said, but when they walk away from God in their heart, they may still be in that pew. I said, they're not going to love God's messenger. They're not going to. That relationship can't be the Because you're, you're God's mouthpiece. I said, that's why that man. I said, don't you take it personal. I said, his problem, his issue is not with you. He may say it is. But I'll tell you his problem is with God. And God told Israel, I'm going to load your wagon because you're a bunch of ungrateful people that have forgotten. I want to tell you this morning, this brings fear to my soul, church. If God never did another thing in my life, I, I have no reason to complain. And can I just, I won't be real transparent with you. I'm not on a pedestal this morning. It's easy to complain, isn't it? Griping comes natural for all of us. I'll tell you, I've had God smoke my soul. I'd get to complain and the Lord would say, what's wrong with you? You ever talk to you like that? What's wrong with you, boy? You remember where I brought you from? You remember what? Look, look around your life. Hey, this morning, look what God's done for you. He don't owe me anything. I'm telling you that God didn't have to save my soul, but if that's all he did and left me here to make it from here to the grave the best way I could, he'd still be better to me than I deserve. He don't owe me a roof over my head. 
He don't owe me a Bible in my hand. He don't owe me a good family. He don't owe, God's not obligated to pay my bills. He's not obligated to give me a decent car. He didn't have to let me be born in America. He could have let me be born in the jungles of Africa and never heard the gospel and died and went to hell like a lot of people have and he'd have still been God. He don't owe me the clothes on my back. I'm telling you when I start thinking about that, I think about I should never, I should never ever complain about anything in my life. God said, I'm going to load your wagon because you've been ungrateful too long. And Then finally look at this last thing, verse number 12. But you gather, but you gave the Nazarites wine to drink. That broke the vow. And look at this. And commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not. God loaded their wagon because they were inappreciative, inattentive. They were their idolatry, their, their intoxication, their immorality, their injustice, but because of their irreverence. Their irreverence. You know what they said? They were so bold in verse 13 to tell the preachers, verse 12, don't you preach to us anymore. We don't want to hear that no more. We're going to give us wine. We're going to break its vow. You know them prophets would have said something. Preacher, we don't want to hear that no more. Well, I'll tell you, I can go somewhere else. I don't have to hear that kind of preaching. You can. But God will load your wagon for it. I'm going to tell you, when people get out of the will of God and go to another church, so to speak, because maybe they don't want to make things right or they refi- they have, they've done something and they won't get right or they want to change their life. I've seen that. They want to get off into something that it ain't going to fly here, so let's go down the road because I can kind of blend in for a little while and do what I want to do. And after I've kind of had my cake and ate it too, I might go back down there and quote, unquote, repent. Are y'all still with me? I'll tell you something. You're playing games. God, God don't play like that. And they'll, but they don't want to hear that kind of preaching. Can I tell you something? A preacher don't really want to preach like I'm preaching this morning. I really don't. There's things we have to preach on nowadays. I, can I just be real? I don't. I mean, I'm sick of preaching on it. I don't. You might be sitting out there saying, "Man, I don't want to have to hear that." Well, I don't want to preach it. You think I want to preach on some of this mess we're dealing with? I tell you, if I never had to preach another sermon. Or ever never had to mention in another sermon again social media. Oh, I would bless the day to never have to say those two words again. But you know why we have to hammer it? Because it's tearing our homes all to pieces. It's tearing this next generation up. They're so addicted to it. They can't. They don't read their Bible, but they can't go an hour without looking on their phone. And seeing who hit liked on something that they posted. That's why we preach on that stuff. It's the day we're living in. There's a warfare. And this morning, I don't know where you're at with God. But I'll tell you the best thing that ever happened in my life after I got saved. And even when I got saved. Was when God took a preacher and a sermon. And just loaded my wagon. 
He came to that pew where I was at and that preacher, like as if he knew everything about me, he just set it all right down in my pew. And I knew God had my number. I'm going to tell you something. Don't you go out of here this morning and say, well, somebody told Brother Gravely this. Somebody told, no, I'm going to tell you something. I've been in Winston-Salem all week. I hadn't talked to nobody. Come out here yesterday, played some volleyball, ate a hot dog, and about had a heart attack. I didn't talk to nobody because I couldn't breathe half the time I was out there. I didn't talk to nobody. In fact, I, if you want to know the truth, I got up this morning. I wasn't even going to preach. This sermon is halfway worked on. And, and I was going to preach out, out of the book of Luke. And, and right before I left the house, the Lord said, No, you preach on Amos. I, and this was, I said, Lord, it's not, I, I don't have that sermon really finished. And I'm afraid I'll mess it up. God said, I'll help you with it. You just preach it. So whatever I said this morning, if it fits, I didn't load your wagon. God did. And I beg you. I mean, I'm telling you, I beg you this morning. There's two or three things weighing heavy on my heart, this invitation. And I beg you this morning, if you're not right with God, would you please get right with God this morning? Would you please? You owe it to yourself and and to the Lord and to everybody around you, please, I beg you to get right with God this morning. I love His church. I love everybody in this church. I mean that with all my heart. And I truly mean this. Visitor and member, I want to see you go forward with God. I don't see nobody suffer any. I'll tell you, I've seen enough in the time I've been here. I don't want to come back a year from now and there be an empty spot where you used to sit. Because you stubbed up on God. Please, please, don't get hard, get tender this morning. And get honest with God as we stand. It's not your brother, it's not your sister, it's not your spouse, it's not your children, it's not your preacher, it's not anybody. It's you. And you got to deal with yourself this morning, this altar. You don't have to come, but if God speaks to you, I only want you to come. If the Holy Spirit deals with your heart. But if He's dealing with you, oh friend, you need to come. You ought to come this morning as we sing this song.